Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer incentive offers. 15,178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xE and Summit 4xE models and dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark. Recorded live. episode number 59 of the Radio Network's weekly pop culture review show. It is WCWUS Outside the Ropes. I am once again Mr. WCWUS, Chad Hinshaw, back on the line here with you. And of course, normally, ladies and gentlemen, this show, of course, it would be airing the show every Wednesday evening at 6.30, but due to a a, uh, private situation that took place that that day, we did not have, we did not, of course, broadcast... uh, Broadcast uh, outside the ropes then, but we are we did decide to go ahead and bring it here to you tonight to go ahead and make sure that you did get your feel of the week's pop culture uh, news and views, as they always say. Now, of course, always joining me here big time here is the is of course uh, the Iceman himself, JD Jared Geronimo. JD, of course, is a 2015 and 17 WCWS Hall of Famer. He's also, of course, part of the team that brings you WWUS Raw Radio every Monday afternoon right here on TalkShoot.com. Let's go ahead and bring J.D. in here right now. Uh, J.D., welcome to number 59 of Outside of the Ropes. One short of 60. Go figure. Indeed, indeed. The shows are all the shows in Radio Network are moving up big time here, and Outside of the Ropes here is no exception to that rule. And, of course, ladies and gentlemen, the, the, the premise of the show has been changed because we are doing this on a different day this week, but uh, like I said, it's just a different, uh, <clears throat> just the different day. But like I said, the same news, uh, of course, coming through the pop culture scene, uh, movies, music, sports, politics—you name it—we definitely will talk about it. Though uh, I through, of course, our friends at Four Eleven Mania, and of course, JD will have a few things he'll he'll get all of his very bold chest, I should say. <laughs> and of course, also here in a little while, we'll get JD in the in his fireproof suit, and also sitting in that fiery hot seat as we put him into some more, give him some more, uh, <clears throat> more of an opportunity here, of course, to uh, uh, test his, uh, t- test his, uh, poke his brain a little bit and test his knowledge of movie trivia from the past and the present. He's been doing pretty good here so far with it. Let's just keep that, they keep that ball rolling with that. Did you want to chime in? And uh, to, and uh, bring up anything that myself or JD does talk about here tonight on Outside the Ropes Number Fifty Nine. Please feel free to give us a call here. Of course, one seven two four four 
444-7444, call ID 141-387-POUND, and press that one if you want to chime in on anything that we had to talk about here, of course, <clears throat> on Outside the Ropes, the special Friday edition here tonight. Let's go ahead and, and uh, uh, go ahead and uh, bring everything here to you. Uh, let's see what we have on here on the uh, on the on the movies and uh, TV scene here. First, see if we got anything. Of course, uh, interesting here. And then let's go ahead and see what we got. Okay, let's see here. Ah, yes. Okay, let's let's read this right here. Uh, coming from the movie front here, uh, coming from uh, Joseph Lee of 411 Mania here today. Uh, let, me, let me make sure I have it all straight. Evan Peters returning as Quicksilver in X-Men Dark Phoenix. According to The Hollywood Reporter, Evan Peters is set to reprise his role of Quicksilver for X-Men Dark Phoenix. Quicksilver wasn't a part of the Dark Phoenix story in the comics, but the character had popular appearances in X-Men Days of Future Past and X-Men Apocalypse. Meanwhile, Lamar Johnson, from The Next Step, has joined the cast in an undisclosed role. The film began production in Montreal this week. It will be written and directed by Simon Kinberg. Also stars James McAvoy, Michael Fassbender, Jennifer Lawrence, Nicholas Holt, Sophie Turner, Alexandra Shipp, Ty Sheridan, Cody Smith-McPhee, and Jessica Chastain. It will open on November the 2nd, 2018, a latest addition, J.D., to the uh, 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 next uh, installment of the X-Men movie series, it seems. Well, the question is, is it going to be a big hit or is it going to be a big bomb? We really don't know yet, but we'll have to wait and see. However, as time will only tell, but indeed, another X-Men part to the uh, trilogy, if you will. Absolutely. And, uh, of course, like I said, coming out in November of 2018 when that it's when you'll get an opportunity to take a gander at that at that at that movie. Uh, next up, we're staying on the movie scene right here. Uh, <clears throat> uh, coming, uh, this actually story came out yesterday, but we'll we'll, we'll read it here because it does seem it was pretty interesting here. Uh, coming from Jeremy Thomas at Fall of the Mania, Patty Jenkins interested in returning for Wonder Woman sequel. Hmm. Okay. Patty Jenkins is not yet officially on board for a second Wonder Woman but she is definitely interested. Speaking with, speaking with the crowd at a women in film screening of Wonder Woman, courtesy of The Advocate, the director of the first one said that she would like to return to, the, to direct the sequel. She says, I had an epiphany about Wonder Woman 2. I was like, you don't have to do this. It doesn't have to be a foregone conclusion that you do Wonder Woman 2. But then as I was falling asleep, I had an epiphany. It was like, wait a minute, you have, to, you have the greatest character of all time, that you love dearly, with a cast that you love sitting at the palm of your hand at this day and age. You can do whatever you want with them. Are you crazy? And then I suddenly realized it's not more. It's another movie. It's its, it's, its own movie. It's got And it's got to be great. It's a continuation of the same character, but there's a great, entirely different story to be told. With this character in, our, in, the, in the world, that's fun, because now she exists. Just funny. And also says something profound about the world we're in right now. Of course, as we all know, Wonder Woman stars Gal Gadot. Uh, of course, uh, Chris Pine, Robin Wright, Danny Houston, Ewan Bremner, Saeed Tagamayoi, wow, I don't know her name, Alina Anaya, Connie Nielsen, and Lucy Davis. 
and has made 327.8 million domestically. Wow, and 663.6 million worldwide since it opened. Um, of course, uh, on back on the second of this month. So, uh, any interest in JD? I've seen a sequel to Wonder Woman. It should be interesting. I mean, it made twenty five more million this week. However, it was the number two movie behind Transformers so far. It seems like uh, the top three movies, however, have a little bit of a punch to it, if you will. However, okay, so we'll have to wait and see. Now, this epiphany coming from the director of the first one, you know, obviously doesn't will it come true? We'll just have to wait and see what happens. Uh, we got a. Uh, if I can make sure, well, first I'll just make sure I can, we can get it pulled up here. Give me just one second here, ladies and gentlemen, while I'm waiting on my... Uh, while you're doing that, you want me to do the box office report? You could, while I'm getting that going on ahead, and, the legend, and the J.D. will bring you, of course, the... Uh, Latest numbers coming in from the movies here. Go on ahead, right ahead, J.D. All right. As we said, Transformers The Last Night, however, was a big uh, debut, however, taking over $44.6 million in its debut, however. On a budget of 60, total gross, however, $68.4 million on a budget of $217 million. It was your top movie this weekend. Wonder Woman, as we said, however, was on a budget of $149 million. And going into, uh, I believe, this weekend, however, it has made $318.1 million. It took another 24.9 or almost 25 more million this weekend, last week, or excuse me, last week. So again, almost 24 to 24 and a half, near 25 million was the final figure. Speaking of 24 million, however, Cars uh, 3, which was the number one movie of the weekend before, dropped two spots, however, and so far two weeks has made over 98.7 million thus far. Meanwhile, 47 meters down, however, went up a spot, however, making $7 million, and in two weeks' time has made almost $24 million, however, thus far. And finally, The Mummy, however, starring Tom Cruise and Russell Crowe, however, dropped um, a spot, however, flip-flopping with 47 meters down with Mandy Moore this week. It finished with $6 million. On a budget of $125 million in three weeks so far, it has made $68.7 million. Now, new movies coming out this week, however, include A Stork's Journey, starring Jane Lynch and Drake Bell, however, which is going to be in limited theaters. Jamie Foxx and Kevin Spacey reteam from their series in Horrible Bosses 1 and 2, however, with Baby Driver. But Despicable Me might be the winner this week, however. Steve Carell, Trey Parker, and Kristen Wiig will be coming out with their buddies, Dominions, however, as that is released today. Also out today, however, Will Ferrell, Amy Poehler star in the comedy... The House, believe it or not. And in another movie this week, let's see, however, we got Nicolas Cage, Gina Gershon, in a limited movie called Inconceivable. And finally, Bryce Johnson and Katarina Law in a limited role star in Darkness Rising. Uh, also this week, I think, The Big Gold, starring uh, Nicole Kim and Elle Fanning, Kirsten Dunst and Colin Farrell, a remake from 1971's Clint Eastwood movie, which starred Geraldine Page, is awesome said to be expanded to theaters worldwide, but like I said, this weekend it looks like maybe, just maybe, the weekend could belong to Despicable Me 3 going into the 4th of July weekend as the top movie of the weekend, while some people are giving early mixed reviews so far in the new Will Ferrell Amy Poehler movie known as The House. I might go see it tomorrow, but I'll let you know how it is if I do go see it. Thank you very much, J.D. Big time report there indeed. Uh, everyone still, like I said, uh, 
I'm sure like I said, we take some time to go see some good movies. Uh, and who knows, like I said, I mean, what we just talked about with Wonder Woman, I mean, it's going to be, I think, like I said, it just proves that the comic book movies genre seems to be gaining a whole lot of momentum here, of course, you know, with Batman, Superman, Batman, oh, I'm sorry, excuse me, I don't know what that is. Uh, I'm wishing my dad was that, And, uh, of course, we got some other news if you want to hear. We can uh, pass on some more news to continue updating you right now, yes. ladies and gentlemen. Uh, tomorrow night at Boxing News Hour at 9 p.m., however, ladies and gentlemen, it will be Manny Pacquiao taking on Jeff Horn, believe it or not. The question is, can Manny Pacquiao finish Jeff Horn in Xanthus Grade age 38? Or will Horn take advantage of playing at home in Australia and score a big upset? We'll find out, ladies and gentlemen, this Saturday night. Also, of course, earlier today, however, and some other news, of course, as you know, tomorrow, I believe, or later tonight, into tomorrow, I believe, we'll start the first full day of free agency for the NHL and the NBA. Early reports are saying, of course, earlier this week, as you know, Chris Paul III was traded from the L.A. Clippers to the Houston Rockets to team up with James Harden at the age of 37. But there are reports now out of Los Angeles leaking around saying that apparently Doc Rivers, however, and Paul never got along real well, and that's why he was dealt away earlier this week. Also, reports are surfacing out saying that Blake Griffin could be on his way out of Los Angeles and could be heading to one of three teams, either the uh, Phoenix Suns, the San Antonio Spurs, Possibly maybe sign, we sign with the Clippers, and if not, it's a toss between the Cleveland Cavaliers and the Oklahoma City Thunder. Meanwhile, of course, uh, the other big names are being surfaced include Paul George, who could be leaving Indianapolis to go to the Cavaliers. While earlier this week, a funny story, Howard, Jimmy Butler, the newest Minnesota Timberwolves player who was traded last week in the NBA draft, are, well, let's just say this week made his press conference and debut in Minnesota a grand one uh, the last day or so. About day and a half, day to day and a half, maybe a couple of days. According to reports, how while doing his press conference, how earlier this week, how apparently he let out his cell phone number to the public, however, and people began to call him. Believe it or not, go figure. <laughs> Meanwhile, however, Artie Burns, however, Steelers' first round draft pick, however, mind you, however, among the Steelers' starting quarterbacks, I should say, was arrested in Miami Beach last night for driving with a suspended license, according to the Miami Herald. Police stopped him for driving with expired tags and then realized that his license had been suspended for missing a court appearance of over more than $1,000 in unpaid tickets, according to Andy Slater, Miami radio host. Burns, 22, started nine games for the Steelers as a rookie out of the University of Miami last year. During his last year with the Hurricanes, sadly, his mother died of a heart attack, however, leading him to provide for his two younger brothers. Uh, other news, of course, uh, let's see here. We heard some other news earlier today, however, ladies and gentlemen, so please bear with us, uh, believe it or not, however. Uh, there was a incident in New York today, and I'm sure everyone heard about it, and if they did not hear, we will tell you about it right now, however, here in just a second. Here's we're going to get this news for you. Apparently, however, earlier today, a doctor forced from a New York hospital because of accusations of sexual harassment returned today, sadly, with an assault rifle hidden under a lab coat and shot several people, killing one woman and attacked and left several doctors fighting for their lives. The gunman, who's been identified as Dr. Henry Bellow, fatally shot himself this afternoon around 3 p.m. after trying to set himself on fire at Bronx Lebanon Hospital, he said. He staggered, bleeding the hallway, he collapsed and died with a rifle at his side. 
Witnesses described the chaotic scene as gunfire erupted, spreading terror throughout the medical facility as employees locked themselves inside rooms and patients feared for their lives. Said one patient who was in the third floor emergency room getting treatment for a lower back injury, I thought I was going to die. Law enforcement officials identified the shooter as Bello, who was described on the hospital website as a family medicine physician. Officers said Bello used an AR-15 assault rifle in the attack on floors 16 and 17. It is also near Yankee Stadium, believe it or not, so you can imagine how much fear was struck there earlier this afternoon. Bello, of course, was allowed to resign from the hospital two years ago amidst sexual harassment allegations, including to two law enforcement officials. The officials did not know the details of the allegations. As of now, however, in unrelated cases, the doctor had been arrested back in 2004 on a charge of abuse, and according to a police report, after a 23-year-old woman told police Bello grabbed her, lifted her up, and carried her off, saying, You're coming with me. He was arrested again six years later on a charge of unlawful surveillance after two different women reported he was trying to hook up their skirts with a mirror. So, yeah, this guy sounds like a total whack job, to say the least. Now, the 120-year-old hospital has nearly 1,000 beds, and as we said, it's a mile, a mile and a half north of Yankee Stadium. In 2011, people, however, mind you, two people were shot at Bronx Lebanon Hospital in what police said was a gang-related attack. Now, ultimately, one female doctor was killed and six others wounded, five seriously, according to Police Commissioner James O'Neill just a short time ago. The patients are treated, have been treated in the emergency room at Bronx Lebanon. Wow. Unbelievable there, folks. Yeah. In the day and age, you got to be careful with what happens out here in the world. Yep. Thank you very much there, uh, J.D. Uh, one more quick thing I will bring up here <clears throat> uh, that I happen to notice, even though we, we rarely do talk, we talk, rarely talk wrestling here on, on the outside of the ropes, but there are a couple that I've got to bring up because I found them pretty interesting. So I'm going to bring those up here momentarily, but first I'm going to bring up this story right here, uh, which was also printed off yesterday. This came from Joseph Lee. Uh, President Donald Trump sent insulting tweets to uh, co-hosts of the show Morning Joe. This uh, Yesterday morning on Twitter, President Donald Trump sent out some scanning tweets about Morning Joe co-host Mika Brzezinski. He claimed that she and Joe Scarborough went to Mar-a-Lago on New Year's Eve where he saw her, in quotation marks, bleeding badly from a facelift. He wrote the following. This is President Trump's tweet right here. I heard poorly, poorly rated at Morning Joe speaks badly of me. Does not watch the show anymore. In parentheses. Then how come? Then how come low IQ crazy Mika along with Psycho Joe came? And also uh, finish off the tweet by President Trump to Mar-a-Lago three nights in a row around New Year's Eve and insisted on joining me. She was bleeding badly from the facelift. I said no. He was responding to a recent comment Brzezinski made on the program in which she said she said he was out of his mind, in quotation, in quotation marks, for reports that his Secretary of State feels sidelined by White House political staff. A photo has also circulated online showing the pair at Mar-a-Lago around New Year's Eve. There's a picture uh, you can plainly see Trump has uh, got his back to the camera. I'm not sure who else is in, in, anybody else is here. So another person um, has tweeted the word "more." They tweeted it uh, 
this was back on January the second of this year. Uh, only, uh, so, meanwhile, both Brzezinski and NBC representative Mark Kornblau commented on the tweets. <clears throat> uh, apparently, she. Uh, I think if I'm if I'm if I'm not mistaken, I. She, Miss um, uh, Brzezinski didn't say anything, but I think she, uh, unless this was unless this was supposed to be a part of an advertisement or something, there's a picture of an open box of Cheerios that shows a picture of a little girl uh, playing with the Cheerios on the on a table and it says "Made for Little Hands." I don't know if that's what that's supposed to if that doesn't have any meaning on it or not. Well, not sure. well, and Joe responded this morning, however, and this is the report I just heard now. They've accused the White House of blackmailing and threatening them with a damaging story in the National Enquirer unless the duo apologized to President Trump for their coverage of his administration. The pair appeared on the show responding to the thing, and during that appearance, the engaged co-host claimed that white, hot White House officials had called them and told them they had to beg the president to block a reportedly negative story. Brzezinski said that National Enquirer reporters also repeatedly called her children close friends waited outside her house. Now, President Trump who has a long history of criticizing the officials as claim repeatedly does not watch Morning Joe, tweeted this morning to respond to the National Enquirer allegations. Watch low rate at Morning Joe for the first time in long time. Fake news. He called me to stop a National Enquirer article. I said no. Bad show. Well, let me respond to that. Mr. President, shut the hell up, okay? Just shut the hell up and keep your big mouth shut if you know it's good for you. I mean, you don't have to act like this big, powerful bully because you're the president and because you bought your way into an election and became the biggest, highest man in the world, however, you think you can get away with all this stuff by your bullying tactics. Enough is enough. Time for you to go away, sir. Time for you to go away. But, of course, Congress won't do anything about it because they don't have the balls to do it. So to Congress, however, unless you do something right real soon, however, you're just going to continue to hear people like me Vent my anger, vent my frustration, and I'm rightly so. I mean, what he said, however, I mean, Mike, Mika and Joe, I mean, I've watched their show sometimes in the morning when I get up early and sometimes when I'm off on certain days, however. I mean, they are, in my opinion, however, next to GMA, next to the Today Show, and hell, next to CBS this morning, one of the best morning duos there to watch in the morning. So, Mr. President, however, why don't you just keep your big mouth shut if you know it's good for you and quit embarrassing yourself for the sake of the world. We already know what you're going to be doing here in a few weeks by being with your buddy Putin, by shaking his hand in Germany. You know you're already in a ton of flack from that, and I can only imagine what people are going to say about when it happens. We know what you've been doing since your presidency, since you stepped into the White House in January. So far, your first six months out of your first year in office, however, has been a joke. It's going to continue to be a joke because you've made it a joke, however. So to that, sir, I just say just keep your pie hole shut if you know what's good for you, and quit embarrassing yourself because you're just absolutely acting like an irresponsible, mega-millionaire jackass. That's what you are, sir, a jackass. Whoa! Hey, well, bold words there, indeed, indeed, indeed. Uh, also, there was a uh, tweet from, uh, from, of course, I mentioned, I think this was, uh, what did I, who did I say this was? Uh, NBC representative Mark Cornblow, he made this tweet yesterday morning. He says, never imagine a day when I would think to myself, it is beneath my dignity to respond to the President of the United States. <laughs> A spokesperson for MSNBC told TMZ this. 
It's a sad day for America when the president spends his time bullying, lying, and spewing petty personal attacks instead of doing his job. This is going to be big. Uh, (laughs) uh, Yeah, so, ladies and gentlemen, this is going to probably continue to happen here for quite a long time, so we're just going to have to just wait and see how all this comes out, so. Uh, thank you, JD, for the update to the story, though. However, this was, of course, been making some big-time uh, big senior the last couple of days. So uh, thank you very much for bringing that here to our Let attention. me ask you, what's your take on it? Well, first off, like I said, the people voted, like I said, during the election. Whoever they were going to vote in, it was going to be on the people. To see who, who who do they want to run? Who do they want to run this country next? Did they want Trump or did they want Hillary Clinton? You heard from both sides like last few months of 2016, saying, "Okay, this person, okay, Trump was doing this, that, and the other. He wasn't he, he wasn't going to come through with what he said he was going to do if you elect him president, you know." And Trump Trump. People from Trump, you know, that were putting out the ads about Hillary Clinton saying the same thing. It was, it was like I said, mud, the biggest mudslinging I have ever seen. Uh, my personal opinion here is, 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 like I said, I mean, you know, Trump's got much bigger fish to fry than this. I mean, I'm not, I'm not saying this is not a big situation. This is, like I said, one of many things that are that is on his plate now that he's going to have to kind of deal with right here, you know, if he doesn't want to lose any respect at all. I mean, he may have probably lost some. I don't know. I can't really say. I mean, because... Uh, but other than that, uh, we're going to have to... We're going to have to really wait and see what all happens with the, with this. All that. Is this going to affect his presidency, you know, six months in? Maybe. I don't know. But we're going to have to definitely wait and see because it's 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 it's, it's going to give it's going to give him a little bit of a bruise. I can tell you that, uh, you know, especially like I said, when you got a two people of the host of a morning show, you know, you know, striking back at Trump for something that was done back in what was it? What was that say? Beginning of New Year's Eve. I yeah, mean, back in January. Yeah, back in January. Ran, yeah, ran a few weeks before the inauguration. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right before, yeah, before all that happened. Yeah. So we're going to see how this is going to affect him for the long term. I mean, like I say, he's going to try to keep his eyes and his mind focused on what what he said he was going to do during the whole election. That is, help the American people. He has, and not, and not let two of them, you know, that chew him out. Uh, you know, for you know, for stuff that's been going on here, I mean, I mean so it's going to handle that under his own terms. I mean, that's that's pretty much all I got to say about that. Uh, anyway, like I said, I did have a couple. I wanted stories I was going to read. We'll probably read some more about. We'll probably bring up a couple of these things on a couple of these stories on revolution here in about uh, about an hour and a half. Uh, but there's one I definitely. First off, there's one I definitely want want to read, and I'm sure JD, you'll probably be mentioning this here a little bit later. I'm sure you probably already know about this. Uh, this is coming today from Jeremy Thomas at Four Eleven Mania. Impact Wrestling, no more. 
has rebranded as Global Force Wrestling. I don't know if you heard about this, but let me go ahead and go off. I I vaguely heard about this, but I didn't think they were going to make it official until after Sunday. Well, let me go ahead and read it to you here, and uh, and after reading the story, I'll get your take here. After years of speculation and hanging on by a thread, Impact Wrestling is dead. Well, kind of. The Tennessean report that the company is killing off the Impact Wrestling name and is rebranding to Global Force Wrestling. Impact officially bought the rights to GFW earlier in the week now that GFW founder Jeff Jarrett had come out to power in Impact, and the plan is to use the GFW name going forward. GFW's weekly pop TV TV show will continue to be called Impact, the last legacy of a company that began as TNA in 2000. Okay. As TNA in 2002 under Jeff and Jerry Jarrett. Anthem Sports remains the owner of the company, and the offices for the company will remain in Nashville, Tennessee. We're a global brand, Jarrett told the site regarding the decision to rebrand. We have partnerships in Mexico, Japan, and other places collectively coming together. We've combined forces, and basically the rebrand final touches happen on Sunday at Slammiversary. President Ed Norholm said the decision to rebrand was due to the turnoff that the team they named caused in terms of marketing partners due to the sexual connotations and that the name was damaged due to all the negative media coverage. Jared and Nordholm said that the plan is to continue to expand internationally with with broadcasts and streaming deals in the works in both India and the United Kingdom. All this happens ahead of anniversary this weekend. Norholm noted that the recent tour to India was huge for the company. Noted in the aftermath, we had more visitors to our YouTube visitors from India than from the United States. Norholm added that the company is developing an on-demand streaming service similar to the WWE Network in order to monetize their library. An app has already launched and with part of the library available. The objective is to make the make out our own video on demand hub, Nor Norholm said. When Anthem got involved, we saw a rare opportunity to get involved with an asset that already had global distribution, Norholm said. It's a thirty five hundred hour library broadcast in one hundred and twenty countries, existing distribution contracts in India, Africa, and now the United Kingdom. The timeline is to take a ground zero promotion to that kind of penetration was 15 years. The work now is to fix some things. JD, have you returned? Okay, he has not yet returned. But, ladies and gentlemen, I am surprised and uh, also in a little bit of shock. Uh, you know, I had always, often heard that, you know, you know Jeff Jarrett was, had developed another wrestling company. You know, he was never able to get Global Force, you know, a big time, uh, a uh, you know, a big time TV thing and uh, all the distribution thing and all that stuff. And and now, of course, being back in the fold and all that with TNA, apparently now all the the moons, as they say, they say they used to say during the times of the Four Horsemen, the moons have come into perfect alignment, and it seems like I said that T, the TNA name has been dropped. And it has now officially been... Uh, I'm back. Now, okay. Um, 
Well, like I said, it's like we said, JD. Uh, the T the TNA name is officially going to be dropped, apparently. And after fifteen be... after fifteen years, it's finally uh, R.I.P. Yes, and there is a reason, though. Actually, uh, uh, you're going to be something that the president of, I guess you can call them now, Global Force, said here, the decision to rebrand was due to the turnoff that the TNA name caused in terms of marketing partners due to the sexual connotations, and that the name was damaged due to all the negative media coverage. Okay, all right, let me let me retort to that answer. First off, okay, this brand has been around for 15 years, correct? That's that's right, yes. Yeah, okay. I mean, why are they all of a sudden wanting to be like WWE again? I mean, they've copied WWE in just about every facet of the face, whether it be getting their own superstars from the past and present, however, to doing their own pay-per-view names, to doing their own announcing. I mean, what does Global Force bring to the table for TNA except for maybe a little more money and maybe hopefully a little better time slot and hopefully uh, better ratings? I mean, first off, Global, I mean, Gerard and I talked about this, I think, a couple nights ago in the debate, however. We said, what has Global Force done in the last couple of years? They, a few years ago, had an offer on the table or first expressed TNA, what was it, two, three years ago, that they wanted to get involved with Jeff Jarrett Dixie, Jeff Jarrett's dad, Jerry, and the rest of the TNA brand, however. Unfortunately, they never got off the ground because, A, they didn't have a TV time slot, and, B, however, they didn't know where they were going to be going throughout the country because you've been wrestling in baseball stadiums and other places that don't have big crowds. So unless you do something here big in the next six months to within the next year or so, TNA could be going under. I mean, you better yes. hope this weekend that you have a good crowd for Slammiversary. I mean, you better hope that is going to be a big show for you. That's one of your four big shows. You used to have Genesis, Turning Point, however, Destination X. Now TNA is like if they're on one or two times a year. They're, they're right now barely, barely surviving at this point. So unless you have a big plan in the next six months, I think TNA could be closing up shop very soon. Well, let me throw out a couple of another points, two or three other little things I've said here that might kind of answer what you were just mentioning. Okay. There, the show that we know as Impact will remain, that will keep that name oh, okay. on, Pop, on Pop TV. And, all, and the company is going, is going to, Anthem Sports is going to remain the owner. The offices for the company is going to remain in Nashville. Now, let me, let me mention this. Let me mention this. You mentioned something that, you know, they're, what they're, they're, trying, they're trying to be, they're trying to get in direct competition with WWE. Let me tell you about one thing right here that is a, Pretty good example, and not a big example, but a pretty good, a pretty good one. Maybe already the last two paragraphs I might explain it here a little bit. President Ed Molholm added that the company is developing an on-demand streaming service similar to the WWE Network in order to monetize their library, and an app has already launched with part of that library available. Sure. The objective, according to the president, sit here says. The objective is to make our own video on-demand hub. Uh, also, they said when Anthem got involved, we saw our opportunity to get involved with an asset that already had global distribution. It's a 3,500-hour library broadcast in 120 countries, existing distribution contracts in India, Africa, and now the United Kingdom. 
the time I would take a, a ground zero promotion to that kind of penetration wasn't that 15 years. The work now is to fix some things. So you you heard what I just mentioned here. Yeah. Okay. There's some, you, you mentioned something about about now. You, I guess now I guess we'll have to call it GFW. Yeah. Uh, is 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 trying to do something to try also once again to get people to WWE. Now they're trying to copy something that WWE has already done. So is this going to make this any better? I mean, what what was the deal here? I mean. With them getting the network, however, I mean, yes, you'll have a chance to go back and relive some of the best moments over the years of TNA. But like I said, however, unless you have a plan, I mean, the last few years, it's just been, like I said, a joke. You had Anthem Sports Entertainment throw their hat into the ring along with GFW. Then you had the whole Billy Corgan thing go up in smoke, however, and that kind of blew over, however. I mean, they're just trying anything they can to keep their heads above water. And in fact... In fact, I think I read this just now, as you were talking before I came back on the line again. I was reading just now, apparently, however, that TNA numbers, I'm looking here right now to see what the numbers were. TNA's numbers this week, however, went down this week to 268,000. They were done 340, 345,000 last week, however. This week, you took a major hit at 268. So there's up and down weeks you've had with them. That's fine. That's fine. Don't get me wrong. But like I said... Last year you had three hundred twenty-two thousand. However, mind you, mind you, and this is the funny thing is, however, and this maybe it's just because of the holiday week, maybe this week, however, you went down a little bit. But at the same time, you've been really semi-solid with this India tour the last month or so. You've done pretty well with it. When you come back here to the states and to the country, U.S. of A. at the Impact Zone, your numbers still go up and down at times. It's just international right now. I think whether, like you said, India or the UK or whatever. And I think they were supposed to. Go, and I think they're supposed to go to the UK sometime this fall. I think they're planning to still go to the UK, at least from what I heard. Maybe, but if not, who knows? But that's beside the point. The point is this: they just hope. I mean, they just better hope that they continue to get good numbers. Because if they don't, however, like I said, they're going to be in trouble. Right now, they're just barely clinging to life at this point. I mean, they're kind of, sort of like, in the middle. Not hit rock bottom yet. I mean, they're semi above, semi above the water. I mean, I would say they're still in the water. Technically, they haven't gone all the way down. And no pun. This is not to be a joke, a joking thing, but it's sort of like the Titanic. I mean, they haven't really gone all the way down where there's no chance that the boats are going to save them or no one's going to save them. Right now, they're still clinging to life at this point. They're still having some punch and pull with some of the other markets, I'm sure, in the other countries and everything like that. But here in the States, however, the problem with TNA is, though, besides Impact, however, and besides the other places that they've done, some of their papers, they haven't gone out and done house shows in, what, about three or four years. That would used to be their thing three or four years ago. They used to do house shows in different cities, however, in different little markets, however, in different big or little cities, and whether it be a, like an ice skating rink or a baseball team, that was their thing. Now you better hope, however, if you're going to keep it around for a little longer, however, you, with GFW now taking over the rain tower, you better start getting TV. You better start trying better numbers with crowds. Because if you don't, you're in trouble. Right now you're just barely clinging to life at this point. And you're just going to, it's going to be interesting how much longer they're going to stay, stay around. I agree. We'll have to wait and see what all happens with this. Let's see how this is going to benefit right here. Of course, like I said, probably coming up right after. No, that's the sign anniversary pay-per-view here this weekend. This is the other one that I wanted to read before we go to the movie trivia challenge. Um, 
coming here today from Jeremy Thomas. Uh, this is a name we have not heard or read in wrestling lore in a long time. Tony Schiavone huh. uh, has done does has done an interview here recently on regretting on how he regretted leaving the WWE and also talks working alongside Lord Alfred Hayes. Uh, let's go ahead and read some of the highlights that he's got right here. Tony Schiavone stuck with Wrestling Inc. for a new interview, and the highlights are right here. On his favorite broadcasting partner, Tony Schiavone says the following. That's a tough question to say. I have seen it online, too, where they say that Schiavone liked everybody, and I really did. Bobby Heenan and I didn't finish up on good terms, which was my fault, but I really liked working with Heenan because he made me laugh. I thought, I thought Schiavone and Heenan were, good, were pretty good. Well, I mean, in WWE, I mean, they did have a little bit of issues with each other. In WCW, I think they did, too. I just, and I also heard there was a lot of tension, I think, between Tony and Mike Tenay as well. For sure. You know, there's an infamous clip around, talking about TNA, there's an infamous clip around the time that Russo was there. Uh, of course, when Tony Schiavone popped out of the audience and all that was talking to... Uh, well, Tony, if you remember, uh, when he was in TNA that one time, I think it was one of the few appearances he made in TNA, I remember, and this is when TNA was still was announcing with Don West, I remember, at the time. I mean, Tony blamed Tanae, however, basically, because he always said that Tanae was always kissing Russo's backside, however. When Russo had the booking control, however, the few times he was in WCW, he and Russo, I heard, I think uh, Tony did another interview with another show, however, and he said that him and Russo really never saw eye to eye, and he really did not trust Russo when Russo came in with Ferrara in 99. Right, mm-hmm. On working alongside David Crockett and Jim Ross in his earlier days, Shivani says this, when I go back and look at some of the stuff that I did, I believe that my best work was when, was when J.R. first joined us in 1987, and we did some pay-per-views together. We did Clash of the Champions together. I think that was my best work overall. Yeah, he and J.R. did pretty well. I mean, I did like him. I also liked him and David Crockett. I mean, David Crockett was also a pretty good announcer member back in the day, however... Yes, like I said, I mean, Tony definitely had his uh, naysayers and critics, too. And uh, speaking of wrestling, I do got one good story of wrestling that I do want to thank, and this is from Larry Zonka. As of today, however, Oscar Reign has surpassed the Honky Tonk Man's record as the longest reigning IC champion at 454 days. Here's some of the records you will not believe. On July 24th, if she should stay champion, she will pass Demolition's run as the longest reigning team to hold the original WF World Tag Team title at 478. Five days later, she will pass the New Day's record. And should she stay champion until SummerSlam, she will pass Rock and Robin as the longest reigning champion of the post Moolah era at 502. Wow. Yeah, I mean, I, there's no one going to touch her. I mean, maybe Nikki Cross or maybe Ember Moon, as we talked before in Brooklyn. I mean, they're still discussing what they're going to do with her at uh, NXT Brooklyn 3 here in mid to late August. But right now, I mean, she's gone through... I mean, she started her reign, of course, as we all know, when she beat Bailey for that title last year in Dallas, basically. Mm-hmm. And she's just gone within the past year. I mean, she's surpassing everyone's record. Like I said, it's just it's incredible. Indeed, indeed. And let's see what other things Tony Giovanni has to say in this story right here. On his later days with WCW... At the end, I really enjoyed working with Scott Hudson. I don't know if you went back and listened to some of the things Scott Hudson and I did, but we really had a lot of fun together. 
when Scott Hudson, Mark Madden, and myself did a couple of shows together, we always had a great time doing shows together. I really enjoyed working with everybody. Also, I'm working with Alfred Hayes. I can tell you right now, though, my most memorable time working in pro wrestling is somebody being by my side was working with Lord Alfred Hayes. He was a tremendous person. Anyone that knew him knew that he was a wonderful man. He and I got to travel and went to London to do a show for Vince. And I got to travel overseas for the first time with him. I found his memories with a broadcast partner was with Lord Alfred Hayes. I had found everybody, but I think my best work was with JR. On going to WWE, it was really exciting for me because I came from Jim Crocker Promotions, which was a very small company, a mom-and-pops company. We did our interviews in the back of this make, this makeshift office. It was an office, but they, but they had this garage in the back. That's where we did our interviews. Suddenly, suddenly I am being transported into Stanford, Connecticut. Not only am I doing their announcing, but I'm also producing their Coliseum home videos, the VHS videos, of course, back then, Shivani recalled. This is a big setup, a gigantic studio with all types of bells and whistles with everything at our disposal. I really thought that I had in many ways, in many ways I did, but I felt that I had really reached a big time. It was a big deal for me to move into that. On seeing Hulk Hogan during his WWE run. Of course, he said, then I got a chance to see Hulkamania. That's back when Hulk Hogan was wrestling Macho Man Randy Savage at WrestleMania 5, and he had his match. Last event I did for WWF was back when, back then was WrestleMania Wait a minute, he wasn't in WrestleMania 6. Who? No. Are you kidding me? Tony? What I did for WWF back then was WrestleMania 6 with Hogan and the Ultimate Warrior at Skydome, and now it's called the Rogers Center. I was part of all that and was really an exciting time for me to see what I did back then. On leaving the company, I was immediately second-guessing myself, thinking what I had done to my career. Now I moved back to Mom and Pop's wrestling once again. Only this time the Crockett's were around except for David Crockett, but I wasn't answering to him. I was answering to Jim Hurt and Jim Barnett, and with the company that I knew did not give a darn about professional wrestling, and I was right. They just wrote it out as long as they could, and they threw it to the curb, and I made the biggest mistake of my life. There you go. Well, Jim, well, Jim Hurd, I mean, there was a lot of people about Hurd and Barnett. Barnett was a very unique guy. Of course, I think he was the guy who actually started, if I remember, I think it was in the mid-70s or early 70s, uh, Georgia Championship Wrestling. And Hurd, of course, was the Pizza Hut guy. However, and there was a lot of people that uh, really he uh, kind of pissed off with his ego. I mean, he, of course, he did his um, most famous thing, of course, if you saw the Vice Paul WCW DVD, talked about this. Some people talked about it. He... Uh, they said one of the things he did in wrestling how that some people just shook their heads about was introduced to Ding Dongs. Yeah. And then, of course, uh, the big one was Ric Flair. Obviously, him and Ric Flair. I mean, Ric Flair talked about in his book about how he thought about her and in shoot interviews he's done in the past. He says that, if you remember, it was her that tried to change Flair's gimmick and made him wanted to change his name from Nature Boy to Spartacus. And Flair's like, no, you're not doing that. You will not change my name. You will not change my persona. And if if you if you don't like it, screw you. And he even told Hurd, however, because Hurd was the one who wanted to get the belt off him. That's why Flair left to go back to WWE for that first time, however, since the mid to late 70s for that only short time. But that was the reason why he left WWE, or NWA and WCW 99 because the house show attendance was falling off, however. Heard thought he could get away with anything, and that was the problem with WCW in the early 90s. I mean, when Crockett sold his thing to Turner, however, 
Turner thought he could uh, like bring in people like Jim Hurd, Kip Frey, uh, Ole Anderson, and it was like a revolving door of bookers. I mean, Dusty Rhodes tried his luck, Flair for a brief time, Ole Anderson, like I said, and all of them just people either didn't like it or just it's just it wasn't like. The glory years, as Arne Anderson said, was probably, and you'll probably agree with this too, was between 83 and 86, 87, when you first started Starcade, when you had the Great American Bash. I mean, you were doing uh, summer shows in places like uh, baseball stadiums and places down your neck of the woods, of course, and in Chicago. But like I said, once Crockett sold his business out, and they were in the hole, according to Dusty Rhodes, and this is what Dusty said, because they was, I mean, they were a little bit in the hole, however. Once he sold the business to Turner, it's like Turner brought either some of his people in with him or he brought his own kind of people in with him, however, and half of them didn't even know what to do with wrestling. They had different people trying to run it. They couldn't do it, and that's why uh, it was in the dark for like four or five years, and that's why all these other federations kind of either laughed at them or they went out there too because the only big league game in town besides Crockett at the time was WWE. I mean, you had places like WCCW, you had AWA, you had UWF Mid-South, and they went out of business. But they didn't get the yeah. crowds that they used to because uh, just they couldn't draw the numbers. They were going off. They couldn't keep the crowds coming. I mean, they couldn't put on big specials like WWE or, AWA, or NWA, WCW. Well, like I said, I mean, and uh, Giovanni, of course, like I said, uh, spoke, some, spoke some true words right there and uh, he was, he was, a, uh, uh, in my personal opinion, a good announcer. Uh, yeah, he was. He was. I mean, he he, he called a lot of Now I remember, I actually have one of his on tape, and that was, a, I remember very, very, very specifically. Well, actually, I had two of them. One of them, of course, was SummerSlam 89, which was, he did a tremendous job with that. And also, of course, he called the 1990 Royal Rumble, which I, uh, both alongside uh, uh, Jesse Ventura, which I thought was a good match. Mm-hmm. Uh, good, good, good match for both of them. But I, but I don't. I remember specifically he did not have anything to do with WrestleMania six. He was gone before that. Yeah, I thought that too. That's what I thought. That's what I thought too. I mean, he was not there. But I know Gorilla Monsoon and Jesse Ventura did call WrestleMania six. So I mean, I don't. I mean, I mean, like I said, he was there like around the late eighties, like up until the beginning of nineteen ninety, and he went back. But I mean, like I said, if anyone remembers, he actually was there. Not as not to call Starcade ninety, but he was one of the he was one of the uh, you know what, what do you want to call field 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 guys yes right so they saw him two three times right there in the back so there you go but we'll have to wait and see we'll just uh, uh, that keep on looking at all that and you, who knows maybe you know maybe it's, man right now I know he's busy doing a lot of that doing the Georgia Bulldogs and all that calling play by play for some baseball and all that down around Georgia so I mean. Let's wait and see what, what see all happens here in the future for Tony Schiavone. 1724-444-7444. We'll call ID 141387-POUND. This is episode number 59 of WWS Outside the Ropes, uh, the, a special edition here tonight, Friday, June 30th, 2017. Once again, I am Mr. WCW, WCWS Chad Hinshaw back on the line with you alongside the Iceman, J.D. Jeremy Geralmo, of course, from WCWS World Radio for the 2015 and 17 Hall of Famer. We're going to go a little bit past 8 o'clock, J.D., and all this. I'll have you to get your fire suit ready to go, and we got to see that the chair is lit up. It's fiery tonight, J.D., so let's just see if that will keep you in line here for these questions here. 
And like I said, there may be a possibility that might have done maybe one or two of these sets before, but that's okay. We're just going to go along with it and all that. Maybe this might kind of, maybe maybe going another go around might kind of help you out with the, with the answers to this. Okay? All right. 22 questions. And let us go ahead and begin. Uh, and good luck to you, JD, on, on, on the results here. Question number one. Who was the only surviving Camp Crystal Lake counselor in the original Friday the 13th from 1980? Was it Alice Hardy, Brenda, Jack Burrell, or Marcy Cunningham? Alice. Who? Alice. Alice Hardy. And the answer is, yes, it was. Mrs. Voorhees, played by Betsy Palmer, Jason's crazed mother, killed nine individuals before surviving counselor Alice Hardy, played by, played by Adrian King, decapitated her in the film's conclusion. Ooh, vicious. She actually hmm. did it in the second, being the second one, actually. Oh, okay. Because oh, outside in the first few moments of part two, however. Oh, okay. Yeah, I, you buy no more horror movies than I do because I'm not a real big horror fanatic. What, question number two. What was the first feature film that Jennifer Lopez appeared in? Was it My Little Girl, My Family, Selena, or U-Turn? Uh, I'm going to say Selena from 97. Say Selena. No, believe it or not, it was My Little Girl. Hmm. Lopez, and, and, and this is going to blow your mind, J.D., and this is why. Now, I just, now I can understand Selena, but I think that's probably how a lot of people probably got, got to know her very well. But listen to this very carefully. Lopez was 17 years old when she appeared in My Little Girl. This movie came out in 1986 in the minor role of young Myra in a temporary shelter for disadvantaged homeless teens. Huh. So she was seven, but back in 86 was what her first. That, now, that kind of confused me too, J.D. Yeah, I will because admit. I thought Celine came out in 97, and everyone thought that was a big uh, break. Yes, and I, I would have thought it would have been that too. I do agree with you 110%. That really blew my mind right there. Which question number three? Which film is generally considered the semin the seminal film of the Italian neo realist movement? Was it The Bicycle Thief from 1948, Breathless from 1960, Eight and a Half from 1963, or Umberto D from 1952? Umberto D from 52, I'll say. Okay. Actually, it was the bicycle thief in '48, Vittorio De Sicias. I'm sorry, I'm. I, I, no, you did I'm, good. That's good. I was doing my Italian. Between, yeah, between Italian and Japanese, you're getting it down. Saying it too many of them, I guess it's kind of rubbing off. The <laughs> 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 bicycle thief in 1948, and Roberto Rossellini. Oh Lord, there we go again. Open City from 1945 were considered the two most noble examples in the post-war period with a crude documentary-like style and the use of amateur actors. Interesting. Question number four. What was the first film to partner credited a actor John Wayne with Western genre director John Ford? Was it The Big Trail from 1930, Ford Apache from 1948, The Iron Horse from 1924, or Stagecoach from 1939? Stagecoach from 39. Okay. And you are right. John Wayne's career breakthrough film was in John Ford's Stagecoach from 1939, and he was going to star in many other Ford Westerns, including The Searchers from 1956 and The Man Who Shot Liberty Valance in 1962. 
Okay, this one I'm sure you probably know. This is we're going back to the horror genre here, JD. So listen very carefully. Question number five: What film is generally considered the first feature-length zombie film? Was it A. I Walked with a Zombie from 1943, B. King of the Zombies from 1941, C. Revolt of the Zombies from 1936, or D. White Zombie from 1932? I'm gonna say A. I Walked with a Zombie. Believe it or not, it was White Zombie from 32. Director Victor Halpern's horror classic, White Zombie, has been the archetype and model for all subsequent zombie films. And my question is this. Why? Um, hmm, that is a good question. That's all I'm going to say. I'm just never into horror movies. I'm just not into it. Question number six. What was the first film in cinematic history to be entirely financed by advertisement endorsements from its sponsors. And here are the choices. Was it A, Back to the Future from 85, B, Castaway from 2000, C, Minority Report from 2002, or D, Tomorrow Never Dies from 1997? What was it again? I mean, I got the movie titles, but what was the question, though? What was the first film in cinematic history to be entirely financed by advertisement endorsements from its sponsors. I'm going to say Back to the Future in 85. Believe it or not, it was Tomorrow Never Dies. Huh. A James Bond film? You're, you're kidding me. That's crazy. Now listen to this. In the, larger pro- in the largest product placement deal of its time, sponsoring companies covered the $110 million in production cost. They included, listen, listen, listen to these, these these companies, BMW, BMW, Ericsson cell phones, Bollinger Champagne, Omega watches, and much more. Some joked that the Bond films had now become the license to sell. <laughs> okay, <laughs> okay. So tomorrow never dies. So remember, it was a Pierce Brosnan James Bond film. That yeah, okay. Yeah, that was Pierce. That was Brosnan. Yeah, that was Pierce Brosnan. It was okay. What was the name of the Wilkes family Georgia plantation in Gone with the Wind from 1939? Was it Fairhill, Hickory, Terra, or Twelve Oaks? Terra. It was actually oh, Twelve Oaks. What was the plantation name of the Wilkes plantation, the home of Charlotte O'Hara's Vivian Lee's beau Ashley? Played by Leslie Howard, but it was it was not hers. It was another family. Okay. But very good answer, JD. Very good answer. Question number eight: What was director Martin Scorsese's first Hollywood feature film? Was it A. Alice Doesn't Live Here Anymore, B. Boxcar Bertha, C. Mean Streets, or D. Who's That Knocking at My Door? If I remember correctly, and I think I know this pretty well, because it is one of my favorite gangster films, I'm saying Mean Streets of 73. Mean Streets, okay. And the answer is, believe it or not, it was Boxcar Bertha. 1972, Barbara Hershey. Okay. After making a few short films and documentaries, Italian-American director Martin Scorsese's first Hollywood feature film was the low-budget Roger Corman-produced exploitation film, Boxcar Bertha, like you said, J.D., from 1972. Question number nine. 
In the Woody Guthrie biography, Bound for Glory, from 1976, Booth starred in the role of the famed American folk singer and composer as one of the Carradine boys. It was David, John, Keith, or Robert. I'm going to say it was Keith Carradine, if I remember correctly. Who played Woody Guthrie. And the answer is, it was actually David Carradine. The eldest son of character actor John Carradine received a Golden Globe nomination for his depiction of Woody Guthrie in director Hal Ashby's film. So David. David was also in Cannonball from 1976, and also he was also uh, Kane in Kung Fu. And also, uh, I, he, he, which one was, I knew it was a character that had to do with Kung Fu. It was David character. Yes. Okay. I know one of them did Revenge of the Nerds, didn't he? Uh, Robert did, yeah. Robert was his general half-brother. Keith was his half-brother. In fact, David passed away, however, in June of, two, in June of uh, several years ago, however, uh, due yeah. to the fact that he committed suicide, however, mind you. Thank you. Uh, it, was, it, was in a, yeah, it was in a foreign country, I remember. Thailand. Thailand. Thailand, yeah. Yeah, he was also in, if you remember, uh, talking about Roger Corman, however, from the 1970 movie, I just saw a second ago, he, uh, pulling up his film biography, he made his pro de- film debut in 64, he was in Boxcar First as Big Bell Shelley, he also appeared in Mean Streets as a drunk, which I didn't know about that, uh, Bound for Glory, like you just mentioned, and of course he was Frankenstein, in Death Race 2000, talking about Roger Corman. Oh, okay. Oh, okay. Thank you. Oh, very good. Very good. Hey, we're learning a little something every day about it with, with the, the help of these questions. Thank you very much, Mr. D.D. Question number 10. In which Woody Allen-directed film did Mira Sorvino win an Oscar as a call girl and part-time porn star? Mighty Was Aphrodite. Mighty Aphrodite from 95, I think is what you're saying. And the answer, yes, indeed, it was Mighty Aphrodite. Mira Servino won the film So Oscar for Best Supporting Actress for her, performance, for her performance as long-legged, uneducated, and vulgar blonde hooker, Linda Ash. She was also in uh, other movies, too, uh, quiz shows she was in. And, of course, she was her best role. Of course, everyone knows her best ass as Romy from Romy and Michelle's High School Reunion with Lisa Kudrow. Oh, yeah, okay. I mean, I've seen part of that. Okay. Thank you, J.D. Question number 11. Which film featured the debut appearance of actress Michelle Pfeiffer? Was it A, Charlie Chan and the Curse of the Dragon Queen, B, Grease 2, C, The Hollywood Knights, or D, Scarface? And that, I know for a fact, is easy. It is The Hollywood Knights with Tony Danza and Robert Wool. Okay. The answer is, indeed. Although Michelle Pfeiffer had a few bit parts in TV films, her feature film debut was an aspiring actress, Susie Q, in the American Graffiti knockoff, The Hollywood Nights, of 1980. And like I said, Robert Wool was New Bomb, if you remember. Van Drescher was in that movie, and uh, some other big names were in that movie, too. Oh, okay. Which French film, now, wee, 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 think, think French, Judy. Which French film featured the famous scene of the slitting of a woman's wide-open eyeball with a straight-edge razor. Ooh. And let's... Yeah, let, I let, 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 <laughs> Okay. Uh, yeah, how how, how uh, interesting there. How huh? picture that for a minute. Ooh. I'm okay. Here we go again with the pronunciations here. Let's see if I can handle some French. Was it A, La Age Dior from 1930? B, Un Chien... 
Andalou from 1929. C. Andre Acti, 1924. Or D. Uh, Verda Diana from 1961. That's what I can answer. I'm going to say C. You're going to say C. You're going to say the one from 1924. Okay, and the answer is. It was actually the one from 29, Diana Blue, whatever it was. Uh, the shocking and. Oh. The shocking and disturbing sequence of the slicing of a female's eyeball in this 1920s avant-garde film was actually a dead cow's eye that was being cut. Oh, Lord. I'm, oh. I don't want to think of... Oh. Excuse me. Okay. Sorry. That is... Ooh, talk about freaky. I'm glad, they did, I'm glad it was something other than a human eye. My goodness. Question number 13. Which of, the, which of famed choreographer Busby Berkeley's musical films contained the show-stopping songs were in the money and remember my forgotten man? Was it A, Footlight Parade from 1933, B, 42nd Street, also from 1933, C, Gold Diggers of 1933 from that year, or D, Gold Diggers of 1935? Gold Diggers of 35. Of 35, okay, and the answer is... There's actually gold diggers of 33. You were just off by two, by two numbers. Well, the biggest gold diggers of 33 was the biggest and most dazzling of, 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 of the gold digger films and featured these two extravagant Busby Berkeley numbers. For everyone knows we're in the money. They played that in all the old Warner Brothers cartoons. Yep. Uh, okay, we go back to horror time, J.D., so put your horror hat on here. And question number 14. In the Nightmare on Elm Street films, what town does Freddy Krueger haunt? Is it Perkinsville, Maryland, Haddonfield, Illinois, Monroeville, Pennsylvania, or Springwood, Ohio? Springwood, Ohio. Springwood, Ohio, and the answer is yes. Springwood, Ohio was the location of Elm Street's fire-charred child molester, Freddy Krueger, who appeared in People's Nightmares. And I, and I okay, I, you're, everyone knows how I feel about that. Question number 15. The 1975 Oscar-winning Best Foreign Language Film, Dersu Uzala, okay, is in title, thank you, was an entry from which country? Was it Italy, Japan, South Africa, or the Soviet Union? I'm going to say Russia. The Russian answer is, and you're right. Nice guess. Yeah, I'm about to guess. <laughs> nice guess. Yeah. Dersu Uzawa, by legendary Japanese director Akira Kurosawa, was the best foreign film, best foreign language film Oscar winner for the Soviet Union. Directed by 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 a, by a Japanese director. Huh. Interesting. Go figure. Question number sixteen. This one's a little bit more uh, recent, JD. You might know this one a little bit better. Okay. In the animated film Wall-E from 2008, what discarded object does the title character show to the unimpressed sleek robot Eve? Is it an Etch-a-Sketch, a Magic 8-Ball, a Rubik's Cube, or a Tonka toy? Oh, it's been a while since I've seen that movie. Uh, if I remember correctly, I'm going to say Rubik's Cube. You're going to say a Rubik's Cube. And the answer is... And you're right, it was a Rubik's Cube. <laughs> to impress the advanced pro- pro- robot Eve, 
The lovesmith and Wally robot showed off some of his collected trash treasures, including a Rubik's Cube. You know, everyone remembers how big those, those things were back in the 80s. I bet they were trying to make some sort of comeback, too. Yep. Uh, question number 17. Which film is listed in the Guinness Book of World Records as the biggest box office flop of all time? Was it A, Cutthroat Island, B, Heaven's Gate, C, Incon, I guess is how you pronounce it, or D, Town and Country? I'm going to say Town and Country with Warren Beatty, if I remember correctly. Town and Country is actually Cutthroat Island, believe it or not. Although quite a few films have at one time claimed the honor of biggest box office, box office disaster, the pirate-themed Cutthroat Island from 1995 is currently cited by Guinness as having the largest box office loss of all time. You ever seen that movie? Yeah, uh, Gina Davis and Matthew Modine. Right, I think I've got that on DVD here. Okay. Question number 18. What was the next Universal Studios film to win the Best Picture Oscar following their win for All Quiet on the Western Front from 1929 and 30? Was it A, A Man for All Seasons, B, All the King's Men, C, Gentleman's Agreement, or D, The Sting? What was the question again? What was the next Universal Studios film to win the Best Picture Oscar following their win for the movie All Quiet on the Western Front from 1929 and I think I remember this, and is I, and uh, if it's not the answer I'm looking for, I'm going to really shoot myself, because this is still one of my favorite movies, and I have both of them on DVD. I think it is The Sting. I it was The Sting. The answer is, it is The Sting. The second Universal Studios film to win the Best Picture Oscar was director George Roy Hill's the Sting from 1973. And he would also direct uh, The World According to Garp, if you remember, 1982. Oh, okay. And of Thank course, we all know The Sting from Paul Newman, Robert Redford, Harold Gould, and of course, Robert Charles Boyle Lonigan. You'll remember my name, Doyle Lonigan. Oh, my goodness. Indeed. Yes, I do remember that movie. Yes, yes. Question number 19. Which film began... Excuse me, let me restart that. Which film began the unbroken 11-year run of Best Picture-nominated films for Miramax? Was it My Left Foot, Pulp Fiction, The Crying Game, or The Piano? What was the thing about What was the thing about the movie? I mean, the studio. What was, what was, the, what was the question? Yeah. Which film began the unbroken 11-year run of Best Picture-nominated films for I'm Miramax? Say my Left Foot. My Left Foot. Okay. And my foot and the answer is actually it was a crime game from ninety two. It was the film that began Miramax's streak lasting from nineteen ninety two until two thousand and two. It was the longest streak for any company since the Academy limited the best picture nominees to five films back in nineteen forty four. So the crime game. And uh, oh, this is okay. We we're going way back here, JD. So think very very hard on this one. Question number twenty. Right. In Buster Keaton's classic silent film, The General from 1927, what did the film title refer to? Was it A a local store, B a locomotive, C a military leader, or D the father of Keaton's fiance? I think it was the father of the King's fiance, if I remember correctly. The, the father of Keaton's. Buster Keaton's fiance. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, yeah. 
Okay, answer it. No, believe it or not, it was a, it was a locomotive. The general told of a Southern Confederate train engineer, Johnny Gray, played by Buster Keaton, and his passionate relationship with his own locomotive, which was named the General. Huh. So, hey, they go way back on some of these questions. Question number 21. We got one more after this. Number 21, in director John Houston's classic film noir, The Maltese Falcon from 1941, who eventually confessed to killing the detective Sam Spade's Humphrey Bogart's partner, Miles Archer? Was it A, Bridget O'Shaughnessy, played by Mary Astor? Uh, B, Joel Kyra, played by Peter Laurie? C, Casper the Fat Man Goodman, played by Sidney Greenstreet? Or D, Wilmer Cook, played by Elisha Cook, Jr.? I want to say... You're going to say C, the fat man. Okay, and you said C as in cow, right? Right. Okay, and the answer is, actually it was Bridget O'Shaughnessy, played by Mary Astor. Out of films in Femme Fatale, Bridget O'Shaughnessy confessed to Spade that she had killed Miles Archer at point-blank range. Okay, and I believe this might be the last one here. Uh, in the disaster film, The Towering Inferno of 1974. Which has been played a lot on cable. I'm one of my uh, movie channels, the retro channel. Oh, okay. Queen, so you've seen... uh, Faye Dunaway, Steve Queen, Fred Astaire, and William Holden, if I remember that. And, was a big okay. and the question is here, when what city was the doomed burning skyscraper Francisco. located? You're saying in San Francisco. Didn't he give any choices? Yes, it was the 138-story glass tower, the world's tallest skyscraper in the tower in front of him, 74, was located in the city of San Francisco. And let's see how J.D. did. Out of 22 questions, he received, you got nine of them, J.D., very good score. Very good. Yeah, yes, indeed. And like I said, there were two or three horror ones, and the horror ones, I think, kind of helped you out. Yeah. So, so, you did, so you did a terrific job on that, J.D., thank you very much. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, of course, uh, we do thank you for joining us for this extended edition of F7 U.S. Outside the Ropes, for a special edition here on Friday. Outside the Ropes, we'll be back on next Wednesday night from 6.30 to 7.30 right here on TalkShoot.com. Right after the 4th of July. Yes, indeed, the day after the 4th, yes. Of course, call ID 141-387-POUND. Coming up in about 45 minutes, ladies and gentlemen, please join us for the Friday edition of WWS Revolution, where, of course, Myself and JD, and of course, Human Suppress Machine John Gross, and uh, hopefully, King, you know, of course, King NWO Gerard T. Smith will be joining us as we'll be bringing the latest wrestling news and views here. Of course, include some stories that we did mention here tonight. Uh, also, of course, uh, some history and birthdays here. Of course, not be myself or John bringing you that history, but we'll get that here, out here to you tonight. Uh, and of course, we might have a couple of little surprises here and there. I don't know. Uh, seems how, how Wolfpack went last night. Of course, talking about that one, talking about that that one particular title belt, which I won't bring back up again. <laughs> it was funny though. You think about it that. was a funny night, yes. Uh, and you never know what we'll talk about here, by the way. So uh, join us here in about 45 minutes here for Revolution One Brigade of Five Five Pound. As our live video feed will be from the tribute group to WCCW, WCCW US Forever Strong. For the Iceman JD Jared Drama. This is Mr. WWS Chad Hinshaw saying thank you so much for joining us here tonight. 
And we uh, will talk to you in about 45 minutes here for the Mothership Broadcast Revolution. Outside the Ropes is a broadcast of the WCWUS Radio Network right here on TalkShoot.com, where we're two years older and continuing to be bolder. The radio network continues to be and will forever remain your pop culture connection. J.D., thank you very much. Take care of yourselves and each other. And, of course, see, see you on the red carpet, and as always, here in the radio network, God bless. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.